Now, David is not asking here how to receive those blessings, nor does he only want to go to worship, but rather how to have the everlasting blessing of dwelling forever in the presence of God. Hello and welcome to the Netcast Podcast, where you will find Bible studies that follow an in-depth approach to sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. I am your host, Mark Hatfield, and my prayer is that you are encouraged by these lessons from the Word of God. Thank you for listening to today's message. Hello again, and welcome back to another episode of the Netcast Podcast. Today we will be studying in Psalm 15, and I invite you to get your Bibles and follow along with a message that I have titled, Dwelling with God. This is a shorter passage than what we have been accustomed to studying with only five verses, and David is going to lead us on a journey to get to God's holy hill and tell us how to live so that we can dwell with God. This is a very appropriate way for us to continue in our series as we have been looking at a contrast in most of the Psalms between the wicked and the good. This has been a profitable study for us so far, and we've had a sampling of various types of Psalms. Let's go ahead and read Psalm 15 before we get started today. Lord, who may reside in your tent? Who may settle on your holy hill? One who walks with integrity, practices righteousness, and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor do evil to his neighbor, nor bring shame on his friend. A despicable person is despised in his eyes, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He takes an oath to his own detriment and does not change. He does not lend his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. One who does these things will never be shaken. So the first thing that David points out is that we have to seek directions to get to God. And that happens there in verse 1 when he says, Lord, who may reside in your tent? Who may settle on your holy hill? So David asks two questions here about how one can dwell with God. This reminds us of the passage that we find in Psalm 24 and verse 3, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place. This seems to be a common question that is asked. And when we ask the question, who may reside in your tent, it is not a reference directly to the tabernacle, but it is more about being in the presence of God, wherever God is. Without the presence of God in the tent of meeting, there would be no meeting or purpose for meeting there. And the Bible refers to the church in the New Testament as the true temple of God, where we dwell with God today, in a tabernacle not made with hands, rather a spiritual house built up to offer up spiritual sacrifices. We find in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 2 that he is a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Then in Hebrews 9 and verse 11 we find, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. Then finally in Revelation 21 and verse 3 we find, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. But what type of people ought we to be, knowing that God wants to tabernacle with us? Some suggest the word sojourn in the place of reside in this passage in Psalm 15, but we should remember that the tabernacle or any tent belonged to someone that was on the move. 
In this case, the psalmist is asking, who can be a stranger in your tent? To get a better picture of the nomadic lifestyle that they lived in biblical times, we turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9. It says, By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. And so we see that they often moved and lived in tents. Now we realize when he asks his second question, Who may settle on your holy hill? He's referring to Zion, or Jerusalem. It was always considered the dwelling place of God. In Psalm 2.6, it says, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. And so we have no doubt that that is what is being referred to here. God was said to send his blessings down from Zion, and the people brought their offerings to him there in worship. Now, David is not asking here how to receive those blessings, nor does he only want to go to worship, but rather how to have the everlasting blessing of dwelling forever in the presence of God. In Psalm 27 and verse 4, we read the following, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. What a beautiful picture of a desire to spend every waking moment with God. Now, the second thing we see in Psalm 15 is guidance on what it takes to dwell with God, and this is found in the remainder of the verses, verses 2 through 5. It says, one who walks with integrity, practices righteousness, and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor do evil to his neighbor, nor bring shame on his friend. A despicable person is despised in his eyes, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He takes an oath to his own detriment and does not change. He does not lend his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. One who does these things will never be shaken. So let's go ahead and break this down and look at this together. The first thing he says is one who walks with integrity. If you turn over to the book of wisdom in Proverbs 28 and verse 18, it says, He who walks blamelessly will be delivered, but he who is crooked will fall all at once. And so we learn here that integrity is uprightness, it's moral goodness, and we have to display that quality if we want to dwell with God. In Isaiah, the 33rd chapter, verses 15 and 16, it says, he who walks righteously and speaks with sincerity, he who rejects unjust gain and shakes his hand so that he, they hold no bribe, he who stops his ears from hearing about bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking upon evil, he will dwell on the heights. His refuge will be the impregnable rock. His bread will be given him. His water will be sure. And so as we look at these teachings from God's word, the word complete or whole means without spot or blemish, and it certainly reminds us of how the church will need to be presented to Christ as his bride. Ephesians 5.27 says, "...that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless." Then if we take a look at Psalm 101 and verse 6, we find the following, "...my eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me." He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. And so as we look at God's word here, we also see in Psalm 15, he goes on and says, one who practices righteousness. Righteousness is not a righteousness of our own, but we are made righteous by doing what is commanded by God. And by his declaration, we are right with him. Righteousness has always been a requirement of God from his people. We go and we look at Acts chapter 10. 
verses 34 and 35, and it says, Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The evidence of righteousness is seen then by righteous conduct. 1 John 3, 7 confirms this when it says, Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And so we see it's a matter of practice. Job was one of the great examples of this kind of righteousness. As it says in Job 1, 1, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from all evil. And so then we move on in Psalm 15, and he adds to the list one who speaks truth in his heart. This is an internal conversation that results in what comes out of a man. And only the King James Version actually uses the word conversation to refer to conduct. What we verbalize mentally is often reflected in our words and our actions. This man, though, is sincere in speech, but more than that, he is true or honest with himself before he begins to speak or act. And then it adds to the list, one who does not slander with his tongue. Building on the last point, what we think, the internal dialogue, ends up pouring out of us. We are warned not to be backbiting busybodies that gossip and speak evil of other people, as in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 13. At the same time, they also learn to be idle, and they go around from house to house, not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. We need to avoid being like that. Slander is a destructive way to use the tongue, according to James in James 3.5, when he said, So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Those who are wicked will speak evil of others. We learned that throughout the Bible, but the book of wisdom sheds some light on that in Proverbs 25:23, when it says, The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue and angry countenance. So we need to be careful about having these ungodly qualities in our life. The Hebrew word regal actually means to foot it, which suggests a going about doing evil work. If you look at Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 28, in that passage, we learn something very important. All of them are stubbornly rebellious, going about as a talebearer. They are bronze and iron. They, they, all of them, are corrupt. So we have to be careful about this going about to do evil and to use the tongue wickedly. And then he adds to the list in Psalm 15, one who does not do evil to his neighbor. Let's talk about that for just a moment. If you would, join me in Mark chapter 12 and verse 31. Those that are willing to speak evil of others will often do evil things to a neighbor as well. We are taught to love our neighbor as ourselves, and all of God's commands can be summed up in two commandments, that is, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourself. We find that confirmed there in Mark 12, 31. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so we have to make sure that we are following that closely. We treat others the way that we want them to treat us. This has always been what is known as the golden rule in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. It says, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. And then if we hope to dwell with God, we have to refrain from sinful behavior toward others. This applies not just to neighbors, but really to any friend or companion or acquaintance. Don't be like the Pharisees and say, Well, who is my neighbor? 
And then in David's Psalm, Psalm 15, he adds, one who does not bring shame on his friend. To treat someone poorly that is merely in community with you is different from bringing shame on a friend. The word used here for reproach carries the idea of stripping fruit from a tree. So the fruit is the reputation of the tree because we know a tree by its fruit. Bringing shame then is tearing away the reputation of a person and giving them a bad name. If I lie about you and I malign you or speak evil of you, others will not think of you properly and you will be shamed. And so we need to be trustworthy and kind to maintain relationships in this life while establishing consistent rapport and truthfulness. People that spread lies about you separate friendships. This is what the Bible says in Proverbs 16 and verse 28. It says, A perverse man spreads strife, and a slanderer separates intimate friends. And that's why we have to be careful. Going back to Psalm 15, we find one who despises evil while showing honor to the godly. We are told not to rejoice in unrighteousness, nor to give hearty approval to those who practice sin. We are encouraged, even commanded, to bestow great honor on those that are spiritual servants of the Most High. The Bible encourages us to avoid evil companions and walk closely with those that are following the Lord. We are told not to be unequally yoked. Light with darkness doesn't work, and we are called out to be separate and sanctified for a holy purpose. Then if we return back to Psalm 15, we find he takes contractual agreements, vows seriously, and keeps them even to his own loss. Sometimes when we make an agreement, if we see it is not going in our favor, we will retract words and try to nullify the contract to avoid being negatively affected. We are told to let our yes be yes and our no be no, and if we vow to carry out a task, we must keep it no matter the cost, and that is why we are told to count the cost before agreeing to start something. The only time we are welcome to refrain from any binding contract is if the terms of that contract turn out to require us to do anything contrary to the will of God, or in some cases where the other party did not meet their terms. This is really patterned after godliness, since God, who cannot lie, made promises and swore by himself to keep his word. He does not change or go back on his guarantees, and we cannot change either. Marriage is a great example of a binding covenant that cannot be treated lightly. We cannot simply say one day, I'm tired of this agreement, and so I'm going to step away and I'm going to go be with someone else. And then David says in Psalm 15, he does not lend expecting interest on the return from the righteous or bribe the innocent. In Deuteronomy 23 and in verse 20, if you'll go there for just a moment, Deuteronomy 23 verse 20 it says, You may charge interest to a foreigner, but to your countrymen you shall not charge interest, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land which you are about to enter to possess. And so it was understood that the Israelites were commanded not to charge interest when lending to a fellow Israelite. God went so far as to say that debts owed by fellow Israelites must be canceled in Deuteronomy 15.3. Listen to that text. From a foreigner you may exact it, but your hand shall release whatever of yours is to your brother. And so we must make sure that we understand what perspective David is coming from here. This is repeated again in Exodus 22 and 25, where you cannot lend to the poor among God's people, expecting them to return to you the money with interest. Listen to the text. If you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you are not to act as a creditor to him. You shall not charge him interest. There it is. 
Then if we turn over to Leviticus 25, 36 and 37, we also find a passage that helps us understand this. Do not take usurious interest from him, but revere your God, that your countrymen may live with you. You shall not give him your silver at interest, nor your food for gain. The reason why we find passages like this is because bribes were considered wicked by God all throughout the Bible. We turn our attention now to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 23. Your rulers are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and chases after rewards. They do not defend the orphan, nor does the widow's plea come before them. They were overlooking the poor and treating them improperly. We also find in Jeremiah twenty two seventeen, But your eyes and your heart are intent only upon your own dishonest gain, and on shedding innocent blood, and on practicing oppression and extortion. Be careful that we don't fall into this trap. One final example in Ezekiel twenty two twelve, In you they have taken bribes to shed blood. You have taken interest in profits, and you have injured your neighbors for gain by oppression, and you have forgotten me, declares the Lord God. You see, there's the big problem. We forget about God, we forget about His laws, and we need to be careful that we don't fall into that trap. Extortion and oppression toward the innocent are forbidden by God, and even though the Bible does not condemn the idea of interest earned on money, bribery is always condemned because of the evil motives that lead to the hurt of others. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 27, we see that you can gain interest. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. That was talking about the things entrusted to a man as the master goes away and comes back to see if we were a faithful steward. So it's okay for us to profit off of interest from maybe a bank or a lending institution, but if we're doing it to, to, with evil motives and trying to take advantage of other people, then it is wrong. And then finally, in David's psalm, Psalm 15, we find that one who does what is right will never be shaken. We can learn a lot from this. To be shaken in the Bible means to be moved away from your place. If one takes a firm stance spiritually and abides in the will of God, they cannot be upset. It says in Psalm 16, 8, I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. And so David has used this imagery before of standing firm in the Lord and not allowing our foot to slip. We stand on the rock of our salvation and he sustains us. And there we put our trust in him and live godly lives. Thank you for listening today and join me again next time as we continue through our series in the Psalms. As we wrap up today's episode, I want to let you know that in season six of the podcast titled Psalms of Life, I have a unique offer that relates to this series. If you partner with Netcast during this season, you will receive the outline for each episode and accompanying PowerPoint files to guide you in your personal Bible study. If you want to partner with me or donate, please send PayPal donations using netcasthost at gmail.com or visit our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash netcast to learn more about how you can get on board with this podcast. You can also visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash netcasthost for a one-time donation to support the show. Thank you in advance. If you want to support the podcast in other ways, please subscribe and listen to each episode. Next, share the podcast with friends and family and ask them to subscribe. What can really be helpful is a review from you, telling others what Netcast has meant in your spiritual growth journey. Your feedback can encourage others to listen. Be sure to visit our website at netcasthost.com for transcripts of the podcast episodes on the blog and so much more. Visit our Facebook page, YouTube page, 
Twitter and Instagram page to be notified of all new content at the Netcast Podcast. Thank you for listening, and until next time, God bless you richly in Jesus Christ our Lord.